0: Comment, and share. Good evening, good afternoon, good uh, morning, everyone. It's uh, Be The World Economist. We have with us one and only Matthew Eric, the man from The Great Game himself, who was breaking it down for all of us. You can find him over at the dot thecanadianpatriot.com, the as well as the Rising Tide Foundation dot net. Matthew is a prolific mastermind when it comes to breaking down the geopolitical great game, all the things that is happening, the struggle between the unipolar world order, the legacy powers that are dwindling away, and the birth of the multipolar hope. For humanity, and with that being said, Matthew, what's up, buddy? How are you?
1: <laughs> Very well, V. Always a pleasure to hear your introductions.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. Lots to and talk well, about today.
0: Now, real quick, for the people that are asking where the show was that we did this morning, because it was so darn controversial that mm-hmm. we did this morning, you can find it at Roguenews.com. If it's already been uploaded, that it is in the process. CJ, is it in the process of being uploaded, or is it uploaded already? Yeah, it just has to be carried over. So it's up on okay. up on Vimeo and they just have to put it
1: on the site. So it'll it'll probably be I'd maybe say this afternoon a little bit. Sure. Awesome. So uh check so is, that, is that what you guys do? Because I wonder sometimes how we're able to keep rogue news on YouTube. Um, ah. so you you, you you isolate, you quarantine some of the, the more controversial stuff onto your we oui. uh... oui, okay. right. look that is what right. we do
0: to avoid the Gore. <laughs> Matt, uh, this morning, there we had go. a hell of a... I don't know if you saw this already, man. I got to post it to our our coof panel that we have going on in Telegram, right? Um, did you see the German scientists and what they put out? It, w- it, w- no. it was uh, put out today. Um, this afternoon was in Germany, which is our morning time. And um, it is a, a, a molecular scientist from Germany a couple of biologists, and they literally took uh, residues and biopsies from people who have died from the jab, uh, put it through uh, testing, put it through uh, spectrometers, put it through uh, light microscopes. And the, the, the things that they saw, literally, bro, you see like what looks like, of course, there's geometric objects that you can see in there, uh, things that are moving. Okay, things that are moving—they're not supposed to be moving in a liquid suspension, but they're moving. They're geometric shapes, okay, that are in sharp right angles, moving within a liquid emulsion. And on top of that, when the uh, spectrometer uh, view uh, uh, view is you know uh, uh, intensified, you can see the crystalline lattice structures, which literally looks like circuitry.
1: So it's like an electron microscope that they're utilizing correct. To, to correct. Okay.
0: To get into it, and, and and they got the biopsies from uh, cadavers that have died. Okay, so you can understand the lengthy paperwork that was entailed in order to get that. They've compiled all their studies. They've done hours of video, hours of of a uh, clip. I mean, thousands of clips, and uh, they're submitting this for peer review. But before they submitted it to, to peer review, they wanted to go public with their findings, lest they submit it quietly for peer review, and then it gets. Right buried and nobody hears about it. So they went public with it first uh and then they're they're submitting in the, uh, for uh, peer review and they're also in contact with uh, uh several health ministers in Germany right now uh and it's pretty interesting that um hot on the heels of this the uh, uh what is the large pharmaceutical company uh stressed with an S uh so Sanofi Sanofi so, it's a major European pharmaceutical company. Sanofi? Yeah, they just Sanofi just announced that they're canceling their mRNA vax. Interest I'm not saying there's a correlation here, but mm-hmm. that is also pretty interesting. But uh yeah, I I Matt I'll send you the uh, link to that video uh the, yeah, the, please that was from, do. It's, it is the best 3 hours you'll ever spend in your life and I sat there and you yeah, absolutely slack jawed because it's not a bunch of guys from Billy Bob's conspiracy corner. No, these are Yeah, yeah published micro molecular biologists peer-reviewed work these are scientists who have their professional reputation at stake published works everything they've done has been recorded with chains of custody the homeland yards uh, incredible incredible
1: i i will certainly watch that um yeah, I I mean the amount of control that they've been able to exert onto the uh, the narrative, um, you know, I up until COVID, I I got to admit, I I was a little bit naive when it came to the whole um politicization of medicine. It's something that you sort of know about, but you don't really my my focus was was geopolitics, history, you know, and uh and these things were 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 my comfort zone. Um, and you know, if if somebody had asked me, like, "Hey, you're going to get a vaccine, uh, you know, for this or, or X Y Z reason," I, I probably would have said before 2019, "Yeah, yeah, sure, do that." And uh, this has been a bit of a, an eye opener for me. This whole process, uh, as as many people I think have gone through a uh, a giant bell curve of, uh, of a crash course of discovery. But the amount of, on the one hand, opacity and secrecy. I, I just watched the. Um, you know, the Project Veritas series that's currently being unveiled with insiders and whistleblowers. It began with the uh, the nurse, the mother of James O'Keefe, who, uh, I mean, she did it right. You know, she knew that she wasn't going to be a part of this human experiment, um, but decided that if she wasn't going to get the jab and she was going to lose her job, she was at least going to do it properly and film every bloody conversation she had with doctors and and fellow staff, um, every chance she got. Um, while they were speaking about how they understood that, you know, the, the, the jab is less than useless. It's dangerous that you have, um, an inability. Nobody was, was even desirous to fill out the, the theirs forms for adverse effects, you know, um, because they were too busy or whatever. And, and there's so many other nurses that have like blown the whistle and, and done it right. Um, on Dell Bigtree, uh, he just had a, a one hour interview with another nurse in New York who did it the same way. Where she's like, I'm going to go. I'm going to do this properly and go with a bang. Yeah. Um. And uh. And again, recorded with the administrators telling her, um, since she was doing, she was filling out all of the various forms of all of these people coming in with a whole variety of uh, of all sorts of problems that were never anything one would would have expected to in- to encounter with with a vaccine. Um. She was doing all of this work herself, and uh, and she got in trouble. And the administrators of the hospital had called her uh, to, to give her the, you know, to, to grill her and, uh, put the leash back on her. And she'd recorded all these conversations and they're basically telling her, we have to tote the party line. Like that's our job. You know that, right? And they forbade her from, from filling in the reports. So, I mean, nobody is doing, or very few people are actually going through the trouble of spending, you know, 30 to 30 minutes to an hour, filling out these giant adverse effects reporting system reports. They, she didn't even know about it. Most people, she said, that she talked to in the medical profession didn't even know about VAERS, um, even even going into the beginning stages of this rollout of this experimental uh, mRNA gene therapy. Uh, they just don't know. They weren't briefed on it. And they're certainly being discouraged from filling out these forms um, from the top-down way. And on top of that, you have things like, you know, um, law, actual laws have been passed early on in the early stages of this so-called pandemic from here, I live in Quebec, the Quebec and Ontarian governments um, forbade doing autopsies on people who had died of COVID. So it's written on the paper that they died of COVID, but you're, it's illegal to actually conduct autopsies for the vast majority of these people. So you can't verify, you can't do what these scientists have done and actually like break down exactly. what the hell is going on inside exactly. of that. That's what makes
0: it so incredible. Here's one of the pictures of the structures that they were able to pull up under the spectrometers. Oh, you that's can see weird. For yourself. It, dude, it's incredible. It's incredible. Right. Now, let Are let they speculating another. on
1: what this what this might be? What's they the actual
0: they, they don't know as of yet. I mean, this is uh this mm. is uh, lack of a better word. Not to even sound conspiratorial, this is like satanic and otherworldly in terms of uh, of what this is. Let me show you another pick real quick. This is what was floating around. Uh, give me a second. I'm going to pull this up. Um, mm. Okay. Uh, go, uh, hold on, Sage. Um, all right, Th- they they showed this image oh you right there you see that this is thing is floating around in the solution it's moving across the video screen okay it'll mm. look at that sharp right angle and it's re- and it's double reflective when it's double reflective like that when it's refracting light in such a way it is showing that it is inorganic it's inorganic it's metallic okay mm. now watch this I'm going to pull up another one for you. Um, And then when they zoom in a little bit closer. Go ahead, You see this. And one of the signs is like, it looks like a chip. Right? Because this thing is moving around self-propelled. It's moving on its own propulsion. Okay, now watch. Now.
1: But but do they have these things like video capture yes. of, of these things in motion? Yes. Yeah? Yes, that's the crazy thing.
0: They have hours of video. Hours. Okay, now watch this. And then they zoom in a little bit more. After the, um, the bloody thing unravels. And you're seeing this. This is a zoom in into the crystalline structure of, of that object that we, sh- that we showed, that I showed you earlier.
1: It's getting and, closer and to it. What? Like, I mean, what, what do you take out of this? What, what are the, what are you looking I don't at? Know. Okay. I,
0: I, I have no idea. Well, I, I, I
1: guess I'll, I got to refrain from, from commenting on that, which I don't know, but I appreciate these anomalies. This is really weird. And, uh, and extremely yeah, strange. I, I, guess, I just got to watch the video, I guess. And, and yeah. we could talk about that a little bit more next week. Maybe. Um, but, Shifting yeah. gears, yeah. In, in
0: the backdrop of all this insanity, in the backdrop of uh, the 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 t- the medical tyranny, the the mm. medical biomedical police state that is emerging in the Western Hemisphere, you have some things that are happening all throughout the world, particularly the Middle East, where there's a decoupling and a reformation that is occurring. Would you like to talk to us about what is happening with Turkey? as well as Iraq, the Ottomans and yeah. the Mesopotamians.
1: Yeah. I I um I mean you know th- this is <clears throat> there's different types of um viruses contaminating human humankind right now and um the the sort that we're seeing right now that's being manufactured to um, induce a giant mass panic where, you know, it's, it's been well observed for a very long time since the days of, of ancient Babylon and, and probably much earlier that if you can keep the people in a state of fear, their capacity for thinking is highly reduced. And that makes them much more inclined to um, adapt to hive behavior or herd like behavior, which is always easier to control for an oligarch than people thinking for themselves. Um, so, <clears throat> So the thing that we have coming out currently, you know, we've got COP26 coming up soon, and I'll, I'll link this into your the question of the Mediterranean, the Middle East, and and uh, and, and what's going on there. Um, but COP26 is coming up soon, organized by Mark Carney. And, uh, you know, they're, they're saying that, just like the Great Reset is saying, nominally we're all about dealing with COVID-19 and creating new uh, global structures of, of of control to to heal humanity from these these crises of pandemics, but we're also going to fold in climate change and the the we're going to make these two problems the same problem that we're going to deal with uh, in terms of resetting humanity under a new type of system of social control um, and new sets of norms and culture and economics and and even aesthetics. Uh, in COP twenty six, they're pretty much saying the same thing that nominally we're. We, we are devoted to dealing with climate change and decarbonization, but this year, and, and it's all over their, their website, it's being going to be held in the UK, uh, we have to also fold in uh, COVID-19 and uh, and deal with two sides of the same problem. So it's, it's always been the same chimerical make-believe uh, monster that's been created, whether it's man-made climate change um, caused by CO2, or whether it is um, this pandemic caused by... Um, a very, very ambiguous virus that people can't even seem to properly isolate, let alone uh, deal with as far as creating um, a vaccine uh, for this, which is not really a vaccine at all as far as what we see coming out of the Western nations. But it seems like the solution to both is going to do much more damage than the actual thing that we're being told is the crisis, whether it's uh, green energies that we're being told, like windmills and solar panels and carbon trading and, and, and carbon taxes and all of these other green financial instruments that are supposed to help humanity um, decarbonize, that, that solution is going to do a hell of a lot more damage than the actual effect of climate change itself, which as far as we could tell is not necessarily anomalous today compared to the fact that we had, you know, the medieval warming for hundreds of years, like, you know, in the, in the medieval period where there was no industrial activity and yet it was a lot warmer uh, than it is today on average. So so, um, the same thing for, for COVID-19, you know Um, what we're seeing is that the, it seems increasingly that as more and more data comes in, the uh, therapy, the solutions that they're offering us are actually causing greater damage than the, the, the problem itself. Um, So all of this is really being done because the system is going to melt. It is melting down. It has melted down. Years ago, already in 2008, the system melted down. It blew out. And since then, for the past 12 years, we have been keeping it alive by increasing rates of different forms of fictitious capital, debts, more speculative activity on top of those debts that are then insured and speculated upon again. But most of what we consider part of the economy today is fictitious capital. It's not real economy. It doesn't really sustain life. Um, so this is something which is a bubble. It is set to blow. It has blown, like I said, and we just haven't felt the full shockwaves of it yet. And those who are in the know, uh, who tend to occupy positions within things like the World Economic Forum have put online something, a, a narrative to try to distract us while they control the disintegration of the system that they are blowing out and they want to keep themselves in the controlling position as we go into a depopulation oriented system coming out of this. Now, China, Russia, other countries of the global south, many countries of Asia, especially have decided that they don't want to be destroyed. They don't want to be um, sacrificed on this altar. And they have increasingly come together to create 130 plus nations, strong multipolar lines that I think all of your viewers here are aware of by now. And this is really what the the battle is about uh, which direction humanity will go into the twenty second century and beyond uh, coming out of this oncoming clock. because we are going to get a new system. Yeah. so the the current uh, dynamic in the Middle East is can only be understood by recognizing this and uh, this week it's just been very, very interesting on you know I was hoping maybe that we could talk about a little bit of uh, some of the the interesting dynamics around uh, Turkey, Iraq, uh, in the Middle East, currently, some pe- I think somebody I respect greatly said that one should call it Southwest Asia because even the very term Middle East implies already the word comes from British imperial uh, traditions where it's east relative to what part of the world, right? Relative to the British Empire, they would look east. Uh, more rightly said, this is the, the cultural matrix of that that zone is much more integrated with Asia, so one should probably call it Southwest Asia. Um, Let's do it. Southwest Asia. It is. Southwest Asia. As of now it's inaugurated. Okay. Everybody listening, Southwest Asia, not middle East. Um, so <clears throat> this does tie into the cop 26 fight as well. Um, but Turkey right now, you guys heard that uh, Erdogan is going to be meeting with Putin, uh, tomorrow, right in uh, Moscow. Yes. So it's going to be like a full day. Yeah. It,
0: that that's going to be huge, and and the uh, the 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 organization handling the crash test dummy in the White House is having
1: an absolute conniption fiddle over it, man. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and it just shows you the 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 amount of of self contradiction of the system. Now now Turkey has nominally been playing a pretty negative role uh, for much of recent history in terms of uh, inflaming the situation in the Middle East, especially since the regime change really got underway. Now. Now, this just shows you how much the system, which tries to have absolute control, actually is incapable of controlling anything it wants to. Turkey was earlier on uh, integrated into NATO. They're sort of the, the loose cannon of NATO under uh, Erdogan. It is a um, a zone which was utilized heavily to support the growth of ISIS and ISIS-affiliated terrorist groups um, within, and pretty much most of, which occupies most of the, the Free Syrian Army. Um, It was utilized heavily under Operation Sycamore that was created in 2012 to uh, not just overthrow um, Syria, but also was utilized earlier in the case of Libya uh, to spread the um, various logistical support, massive amounts of weapons. Operation uh, Timber Sycamore was originally uh, U.S. and European countries that were giving billions of dollars worth of weapons through Turkey and also Saudi Arabia into the hands of various um, militant Islamist groups. Um, even now, uh, you know, Turkey's Turkey occupies one of the most controlling positions with 60 observ- observation stations and yeah. something like 20, 29 military inst- installations in Idlib, which is sort of the only zone which uh, these terrorists still control that are utilized in the operation to overthrow Bashar al-Assad. So... Turkey has been complicit in this. Now, they're trying to walk two worlds. They're trying to, on the one hand, both um, keep their current dream of having in the new world order a, um, a certain form of a caliphate, a certain uh, jurisdictional empire in that entire region, which has been the dream to revive an Ottoman empire in the minds of some people around uh, Erdogan. But at the same time, they could see that on the one hand, you know, NATO is 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 a defunct institution. The European Union that they were trying to integrate into, they're trying to, you know, restructure the whole economy for many years so that they could qualify for integration into the uh, into the euro and into the European market, uh, European Union. That is a sinking ship that they are realizing they don't really want to be a part of anymore. And they see where the wind is blowing now. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's weird to think about because up until recently, um, you know, you had things like the uh, Turkey wants to increasingly be a part of the what's called the uh, what, what is it called the uh, uh, the Middle Economic Corridor. So the Global South, right? There's something that is very synergistic with the BRI. Huh? Mm-hmm. You said uh, like Global Was South. That?
0: They want to uh, you yep. know be a part of the the whole Global South and and the GCO
1: and all that. Yeah, well, well, more than the global south, even it's it's like there's something called the Trans-Caspian East-West Middle Corridor, yes. and it's a 7,500 kilometer uh, rail corridor. It's multimodal, and it's it's a pretty good idea. It goes parallel to the uh, the Belt and Road Initiative. It's synergistic with it, and Turkey is seeing well. Okay, that that is what we need because we we need Chinese investment. We got to be a part of this this d- dynamic, and they're also looking at the uh, there's something called the International North-South Transportation Corridor. That's a Moscow-Indian um project which involves something like 17 countries um that brings it goes from basically moscow all the way through azerbaijan uh kurjikistan takistan uh tajikistan um syria belarus oman all the way into iran and from there through the ports of uh chabahar into india so it's a gigantic project that was begun in 2002 hasn't really it's only now begun to Seriously, get revived. And both of these projects, this international north south uh, corridor, as well as the Belt and Road east west corridor, are two sides of the same coin. As as we've seen, China and Russia integrate their economies ever more into one unit. Um, And uh, Turkey is seeing that that's the future. That's the only way it's going to survive. So, on the one hand, you have Erdogan who is trying to appease uh, both China you know, as well as Russia, um, saying to China, like, okay, you know, I know we've got something like 50,000 Uyghurs. Many of the organizations that are, you know, we are oriented are being sponsored by the NED. They have operations in Turkey and that there were, we have been, you know, hosting them that have been part of a destabilization of China for a very long yeah, time. They delisted
0: the ETIM, which is a, a terrorist group. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible. Yes. Yeah, exactly. The the uh, America's the like, Turkmen, like ETIM uh, is great; uh, it's wonderful, and then who's fighting been group. fighting with ISIS in, in Syria? ETIM.
1: Yeah, 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 the, yeah. Uh, the East Turkmenistan uh, yeah, uh, movement, and exactly like these are these are radicalized groups that have been fighting alongside ISIS shoulder to shoulder for a very long time, and have been conducting terrorist activities in China. China's had over a hundred. Uh, various terrorist activities conducted by these groups that's what that's in their own border there's there's they share a border with Afghanistan as well they've cut their teeth there too and Turkey has been hosting a lot of them and so on the one hand you know you have Erdogan trying to say okay we're sorry for doing this and there's been over the last couple of years uh, Erdogan has been saying okay we won't allow these groups to say anything bad about China anymore we're really sorry but then on the other and and also um You see signs of an internal fight within Turkey, right? So somebody, somebody very powerful within Turkey allowed for the head of the World Uyghur Congress, who is based in Germany, to have the ban on their return to Turkey because they've been banned for 10 years. Somebody said, "Okay, we're going to lift the ban. They're allowed to come back. This was like three weeks ago. So this guy got immediately on the plane, landed in Ankara. And was told immediately at the border of Ankara that, no, I'm sorry, uh, you got to get back on the plane, go back to Germany. You're not allowed to be here. And, uh, and so, again, there's was, there was a fight back over what direction Turkey will go in, in that area. And also, in terms of Russia, like, you know, up until 2000, what was it 15 November? Turkey was was playing a very violent one-dimensional role in supporting the overthrow of Bashar al-Assad with no resistance to the point that they even in November, 2015 shot down the Russian jet, which killed one or two, was it two Russian soldiers? Yeah. Um, And blamed the whole thing that this, this almost started world war three, because keep in mind, Turkey is part of NATO. NATO has an article, a collective security pact. And if one part of NATO gets into a war, the entire group, the entire organization has to back them up. That's 29 countries. Um, <clears throat> So that resulted in, in nearly global, hell on earth and immediately not immediately but within months erdogan realized how badly he messed up and gave an open letter of apology to putin saying i'm so so sorry i'm so sorry i'll never do this again let's work together (laughs) (laughs) and uh what happens two weeks later this is uh geez what is this this is i think we're talking june 2016 by july 2016 just a couple of weeks later coup d'etat is launched to overthrow uh, Erdogan. Erdogan, yep, the July 15th coup. Exactly, and yeah. and this is all being run by the CIA, by the Gulen networks. Fethullah Gulen was one Fethullah. of Erdogan's former al- allies up until a certain period in 2002, 2003, when uh, it became, you know, he basically realized that this guy was completely vying for control of Turkey and did a bit of an anti-Gulen coup, kicking Gulen out. And Gulen got uh, a nice, nice, gigantic estate, sort of a manor and a, a weird in compound in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, yeah, exactly. Right, right uh, he runs. brotherly love, it, and it's a weird, weird thing, right? Like it, it's labeled as a as a progressive, free market, liberal v- branch of Islam, but with these strange. It, it, it's a, it's got a media empire. It's got religious groups and religious schools all over the world. Tons of them still in Turkey. Uh, that's all affiliated with this old 80-year-old guy um, who's this guru. It's very strange. I, I still have to get my mind around it a little bit more. But th- it there was this sort of underground network of thousands of his operatives, of Gulen's operatives and devotees embedded throughout the military, throughout the bureaucracy, the deep state of Turkey, that was unleashed on a trigger to overthrow uh, Erdogan. So how did Erdogan survive that? Well, Erdogan survived that because partially... Um, in a large measure, the Russian intelligence pretty much gave him forewarning that okay, we got this information that this is going to be sprung on you, so make the appropriate measures now while you can, which gave him the sort of the time needed to get on a on a helicopter, avoid getting killed, and the coup was suppressed. Yep. Now, I mean, I think that just was a bit of a wake up call for Erdogan, who then was reminded how expendable he actually is within the great game. And how fragile his position is. I think he was he got a little bit into a god complex before that. And so, oh yeah, he so, thought he
0: was the resurrection of
1: Salah Adin, man. <laughs> yes, he did. He did have seemed to do to believe this. And even to this very day, you know, like he's still playing this weird double game where there's there's definite there's groups that he is I don't think he seems to be so much a part of them. He seems to be against these more radical groups, but he has to appease them. They're very powerful structures. They're not necessarily part of the Gulen networks that are very powerful within Turkey that are doing a lot of the biggest uh, support for um, the various Free Syrian Army and other, uh, what's the other group, Hayat uh, Tahrir al-Sham, which is sort of the new name given to the remodeled ISIS. That's, again, based in Idlib. Um, so there's there's these He's accommodating these things. He's even provided uh, fighters from the, the Free Syrian Army to uh, Azerbaijan last year when they were fighting. They conducted this weird little mini war against Armenia. Um, he supplied a lot of these uh, radical fighters uh, also to Libya, where there's a Muslim Brotherhood-controlled government there. He supplied a lot of the—he provided the transport to these groups uh, to so that they, they could help fight alongside and suppress any type of resistance groups inside of Libya. Um, so, you know, he's, he's again, walking two different worlds and it's, it's weird, but you have to realize that he really needs, he needs to be a part of the North South transport corridor. And he needs to be a part of the Belt and Road initiative. These are yeah, two I things that he needs to be a part of, which is why I'm, he's working so hard to try to appease Russia and China.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, he either has to do it or him and Turkey is finished. Yes,
1: Exactly. And so he's he's walking a, a really complicated uh, path right now, and I don't know what's going to happen when he meets with Putin. Hopefully, they come to some very solid arrangement. On because as of now, the reason why he's meeting partially with Putin is because Turkey failed completely their part to fulfill their part of the Astana Agreement, which was to differentiate who within Idlib, which Turkey largely controls, who within the Idlib are moderate rebels versus. Terrorists. They've avoided it partially because there are not very many. If, if I don't think there are really any moderate rebels in the uh, interim government region of of the Free Syrian Army zone of Idlib. But so they not only failed on that, but they also um, have allowed for um, these various terrorist groups like uh, HTS to attack Russian patrols, uh, which escalated over the last couple of weeks, and Russia has had to fight back um, heavily. So. On the one hand, so you have that. Turkey doesn't neces Turkey can easily be bypassed from both of the the Russian Indian uh, transport corridor development zone. There's no guarantee that this is going to go through Turkey. There, you know, th- so they want to be a part of it, but it could bypass them. They, also, the the Belt and Road could bypass much of Turkey too. Their middle corridor, which relies on Chinese investment, as well as many of their ports and and bridges and other big projects that Turkey wants to build and should build, but they all rely on on China that could be bypassed. And increasingly, Turkey is, I think, realizing that since Iran has come into the Belt and Road Initiative with the $400 billion uh, agreement with China, which largely hinges upon a model called oil for construction. So China is investing massively in construction investments for energy transport, other forms of hard and soft infrastructure for Iran in exchange for highly discounted oil from Iran, in, in exchange, right? Over a 25-year deal. Now, this has brought now a new dynamic to Iraq, which is on Iran's border. Iraq has also been walking two different worlds. You had a uh, a government there in the form of uh, al-Madi. Oh, I saw somebody said that Erdogan has to behave if he wants the more S-400s. Exactly, exactly. Whoever, ra- Raven, six. That's right. That's another thing that that um, that Turkey had to agree upon after after apologizing to Russia for, for shooting down the Russian jet and and dealing with their own near coup. Um, yes, they immediately said, OK, and we're going to we're going to set up S 400s in Turkey and we don't care if this is going to render all of the Western uh, ballistic missile shield obsolete and uh, redundant will do it anyway and that's also why Turkey has taken on a lot of sanctions from Biden and from the West um, so yes I mean Turkey is, is Erdogan specifically is trying very hard to accommodate uh, Russian and Chinese uh, strategic plans as much as possible while still playing and allowing for very very bad arsonists within their own um, community to, to light fires um, so again, going back to Iran and Iraq, so Iraq under al-Madi, uh, Iraq has been, er- everyone knows the disaster that's been done to Iraq. They, there has been no reconstruction in Iraq. It's only been made worse yeah. after trillion dollars spent countless lives have been spent to destroy the region for something that they had no part in with nine 11. They never had any weapons of mass, mass destruction. And despite all of that, we, we still proceeded to destroy that country completely, um, now, the only country, the only nation to do any work to help Iraq build energy, uh, electricity, was China. China built the only, um, I think it's a coal-fired power plant, which is a big one, supplying 20% of, of Iraq's uh, electricity needs in 2003 or four. That's the only time any effort was made, despite that the West has not put a dollar into really building anything durable that, that uh, Iraq needs. Another thing is that Iraq has been choked economically 90, 97% of Iraq's goods that they use their needs have been supplied from foreign manufacturers they have no manufacturing that's been permitted to be built up how are they going to going to do that um al madi in 2018 there was a uh, he was the former prime minister and he was ousted in a bit of a color revolution in a sense um at the beginning of the t- 2020 um now he had arranged to activate a 2018 deal with China. And that was an oil for construction deal. It involves uh, doing the same thing that China is now doing with Iran. The, the idea would be that ir- Iraq would create a, a special fund that would act kind of like a fund slash bank that would accumulate revenue sa- revenue sales based on cheap oil to China. And when they got to a, a $1.5 billion of uh, of revenue inside the fund, China would then add an additional 8.5 billion dollars to that of Chinese investment to make it a $10 billion dollar fund and that fund could then be used kind of like a, a Hamiltonian sort style national bank the way you know Lincoln did the the greenbacks for example, where you could then invest them with a multiplication factor of investment into large-scale infrastructure with and it was very well thought through. Um, in terms of electricity grids, building uh, a variety of rail, roads, uh, sanitation systems, things that the people of Iraq really need if they're going to reconstruct. This was also part of a deal that was signed uh, about a month later, which was a uh, uh, a, provincial, uh, a provisional agreement between Syria, Iraq, and Iran in 2018 to, uh, to build and integrate the, the three nations with China's help, in an investment, uh, an infrastructure corridor zone. So as of now, there has been a huge breakthrough with a, a 30 kilometer, uh, Basra to Shalanche rail, which is the first time a rail has connected Iran and Iraq ever. So this is now being built, which is part of a larger, it's basically part of a larger program to extend that rail and an additional one thousand plus uh, miles into Syria, where it would connect into the port of Latakia uh, that then opens up the the connection to the European and other markets. Um, Al-madi, when he reactivated it, the second he reactivated it in September of two thousand and nineteen is where you had the mass demonstrations, the student movements that a lot of the Western, um, interests were putting out, pouring a lot of money into just to destabilize the government because it was basically integrating Iraq directly into the new Silk Road. so when he before Al Mahdi was ousted in this this process, there was uh, the killing of Soleimani right right and that was people don't even realize that Soleimani was in Iraq he was he was at the Iraqi airport meeting with the head of the, one of the leading generals in Iraq who together they had been working to destroy ISIS for many years. And he was bringing a message of reconciliation between Iran and Saudi Arabia that was needed to create a certain stabilization and cooperation to really put out those fires and bring that to al-Mahdi, the prime minister. Um, When Soleimani and the Iraqi general were killed um, by this clandestine uh, drone strike.
0: Uh, But Matthew, he was a a terrorist
1: mastermind. yeah, that, that, that was weird. That, that that got repeated and people started believing that without ever any evidence. Like this guy devoted his life to stopping terrorism. Yep. Um, really strange. But, uh, you know, I heard that there's a, a virus that's going to revive the Black Plague that's going around these days too, right? <laughs> we can... Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, people will believe anything um, if you could just make it sound authoritative and repeated enough. And that was Goebbels' big lie. That was the whole point. You know, Goebbels said, you, you can get people to believe... Anything as long as you, you repeat it and make it loud and get all the experts to agree and or or you at least get the media to say that. So th- the new government that came into Iraq had originally screwed up, like they were they were Western hacks. They they al Mahdi was ousted, they canceled all of the oil for reconstruction uh projects with China. Um they pretty much said, Okay, we're gonna give the contracts we'd formally given to China, we're gonna, gonna give them to a super corrupt firm in South Korea which uh, for double the price, it would take twice as long. It was absurd what they were doing. Uh, um, but even there, oh, oh and you know, so anyway, so then even that government has begun to realize that they have no future. It's uh, Al-Kadimi, who's the current uh, prime minister. And, uh, and they have now finally, oh, they also said, okay, the, because we can get more money selling oil, on the spot markets. Now we're not going to fulfill the contract with China so that we can make more money now. And they canceled that deal too, for a few months. And that was scary because that was like pulling Iraq right back into the stone age thinking again. But now as, as of as the last few weeks, a lot of this is being reversed. Iraq and Iran are getting on board with cooperation, healing a lot of the wounds from that have been there since the war. And even before that in the eighties and, uh, and you have, Increasingly in the mind of Turkey, they're looking at this whole zone where the Silk Road, which involves rail and transport corridors, can now make their way to the Mediterranean without even going through Turkey. So China can now build these projects with massive lines going through uh, Iran to Iraq and then hence to Syria and and, and onward, and then with branches off into uh, Africa even. So the middle corridor of Erdogan's baby is is looking like it's being threatened. So Erdogan is really trying to keep his project alive while at the same time, and that's also, I think, why you have the the Turkish role in destabilizing or promoting Islamic terror to destabilize. So you have that thing going on there too. So again, walking two worlds. Uh, somebody asked, both of them can win. I mean, both Iraq and Turkey, Turkey can have their middle corridor. Iraq and Iran should have, their corridors as being all different branches of the Silk Road, Um, everyone can benefit because the point of this isn't a zero-sum game. You're not just taking wealth from one area and moving it to another the way that our system in the West is configured and has been run for a very long time. Theirs is about creating long-term projects that increase the size and quality of the pie as a whole. So you can have many people... you know. Egypt can still win despite the fact that you're going to have these land corridors that are going to bypass the the Suez canal or decongest the Suez canal. You're going to still have so much more increased activity over the long run in trade and goods by the creation of new industries and new markets that the Suez canal will also benefit. It will also increase its traffic while the land-based routes are going to increase their traffic. Um, So this is a way of thinking about growth is good. And this is something that those running cop twenty twenty six. Uh, or steering the world economic forum, they despise this idea of growth because they want us to be convinced that growth is always purely quantitative. It just means more. It means more suppression of the earth. It means more pollution making machines called babies that just create more destruction. So growth in the definition of growth from the mind of an imperialist um, is really just like a cancer or a virus taking over a host. They don't have an idea of the human soul, the di- the, di- the divine spark of reason of human beings made in the image of God that can discover the laws of the universe that God created and then apply them to make life better for ourselves. Uh, they don't have that idea. They hate that idea. So this is the only way to properly refute that. And I think that even going into uh, Europe, we have something similar. You know, like right now, Germany and France are the two countries in Europe that could feasibly... Uh, have the most to gain by being... a. I mean, everybody would have a lot to gain by being a part of the Belt and Road, by letting go of the unipolar uh, monetarist cult that's collapsing. Um, Germany has been probably the most able to have its own say because it has kept its middle you know, its small and medium industrial firms um, from completely being destroyed as most of the West has permitted our... Yeah. our our firms from being, you know, annihilated under globalization. Now, uh, Germany has been able to use that clout, and that's also why it sustains. It's, it's you know the whole euro is being sustained by, in large measure, the real values created by Germany. Correct. Um, but they and have they, been able. They
0: also to... happen to hold seventy percent of French debt. On top of that,
1: I didn't know that. Yeah, the Ger- huh. Germany
0: is the biggest holder of French debt.
1: Hmm. Okay, yeah, see, and and they've been bailing out. That's why people say that Germany's been bailing out the the rest of the countries. They do take the biggest burden in that sense uh, because they have the most to lose as well of the whole Euro tanks. They're the ones who can can bail it out in the same measure. And that also gives some sadomasochistic elements within the German um, technocracy uh, some very sick impulses to demand austerity and pain on debtor nations, like especially in Greece, we saw this in Portugal and Spain at various right. times. um But you also have this this other element, just like in Turkey, just like in Iraq, that wants to survive. And this is where you got the every country has their sort of two opposing dynamics, right? The deep state depopulation agenda, and then something genuine within various countries and civilizations that also uh, want to have a future. So on the one hand, you know, you have the COP twenty six dynamic in Germany, which is forced Germany to shut down their nuclear power reactors, which will be decommissioned by 2022, um, to decarbonize by shutting down their thermal reactors, which has resulted in a, in a completely absurd situation where Germany has been increasingly forced to get that, that now lost energy from somewhere. Where are they getting it from Czech Republic, from Romania, from Poland, uh, coal power (laughs) coal plants, which has resulted in 70% increases in CO2 overall, which Again, and then, they're blaming, and then
0: they're blaming Russia for the shortages of energy. On top of that, a bunch of morons and
1: doing that, right? But then again, Russia has also just so the, these these oligarchs trying to carve out the transatlantic community into a little cage. They've been trying to break our relationship in every way possible from Russia and from China. But yet, despite that, Russia has still been supplying Europe with. I think it's 60% of Europe's energy needs have been supplied even before Nord Stream 2. Um, and France and Germany together make up over half of that. Um, so increasingly, Germany realized, well, we're going to be killed. We're going to be destroyed if we keep on going with this green energy program the way we've been given it um, by these technocrats. So they have in- increasingly said, okay, we're going to go our own way. And they played a very important role Important role under Merkel for the last few years to push through the the Nord Stream two, which is now finished. It's going to double the uh, flow of crude and oil and natural gas from Russia uh, through Ukraine to Germany and other European countries. So this is this is a very important thing. It, it ties Europe's economic destiny to Russia ever more. Um, that is vitally important, and also several of the I mean a lot of the people within Merkel's Party, which has now fallen out of power, um, but several important people, including uh, Peter Altmaier, um, there were, uh, there was the uh, I think it was the finance minister as well uh, last year. Uh, the but there's been a lot of weird deaths, right? I think we touched upon this a couple of weeks ago, but um, not only did you have the German ambassador just a few weeks ago who died mysteriously after two weeks of being set up in Beijing, who was a great friend of China and a big proponent of getting Germany to work with the Belt and Road Initiative. So he died the same day that Peter Altmaier, the uh, the economics minister um, of Germany, collapsed during a speech and was sent to a, a hospital, to the uh, emergency room. And uh, right at the beginning of COVID in March 2020, um, I'm forgetting his name all of a sudden, but you had another German minister of uh, of finance who supposedly committed suicide who uh, they found his body uh, on some train tracks and they said he couldn't handle the stress of covid and thus he committed suicide so you have definitely a lot of signs we don't have smoking gun evidence but a lot of signs that there are strong messages being sent to these various figures within the german political class to say get stay in alignment with the the war plan with the you know the the breaking yourself off of china and russia um, we don't know what the new government is going to do. I mean, the new government is full of Greens. It's full of the uh, you know the, the the left organizations of of, uh, of Germany, the SPD, the uh, Social Democrats, um, who have been playing a much more uh, virulent role against Russia and China, and also the FD, FDP is, as well as its coalition government that will be forming in the, over the coming months. We don't know what type of clout they're going to have. The Greens are completely fanatic about NATO these days. They used to be anti, they used to be like a, A resistance party that those days are over. Um, So we don't know, but Germany definitely has these different characters uh, to it. Um, It needs, it needs, the only way it's going to have a future is if it it works with Russia over building these, these different hydrogen projects, uh, which is part of Russia's Northern uh, investment strategies. It has to work with the BRI to build rail Uh, and other infrastructure, it needs China's investment because right now as well, if you're part of the European community, according to the Maastricht agreements of 1992, anybody who is part of the Euro is not allowed to control their own credit. You're not allowed legally to have more than 3% debt of your GDP. Um, That massively constricts any nation's ability to have a national banking institution in their own country to invest in large scale infrastructure. China doesn't have that problem. Back in the day when we were still building things after World War II, we didn't have that problem. There were no such beliefs that you have to maintain mathematical balanced budgets. Um, You could take out a big debt if you have a big project, knowing that the big project that will be done in 10 years will pay for itself if it's done correctly. That's the way the Belt and Road Initiative works. So Germany can't do that currently. That's why it needs, and every country needs to break out of this by acquiring chinese investment into large-scale infrastructure and increasingly as they develop that and rebuild their economic sovereignty their their full spectrum industrial base then they could begin to actually have a say in in breaking out of the european constraints the european union or eurozone constraints and developing national banks um same thing for north america too you know i I just want to end this little presentation here on um how a lot of this is expressing itself in North America because here too, you know, under Biden, we have an acceleration towards the green new deal. We have, um, a push to try to green the United States completely in a way that involves also shutting down nuclear power. So, I mean, in New York, they just signed what's called a historic deal. It is the biggest deal to export Canadian hydroelectric power, which is going to supply something like 20% of all of New York's uh, energy needs, so-called. Yeah.
0: They're um, going to most likely take down the Indian Point nuclear power plant that's been powering oh, yeah. much of the Hudson Valley, much of the you know southern New York yeah. state. And people are going to see their energy prices in New York skyrocket, man. Big skyrocket. time.
1: Skyrocket. Big time. And And I mean – it's, it's the most incompetent thing to do. They, so they're, they're shutting down their oil and or they, they're saying that they're going to shut down more and more oil and natural gas uh, plants that are, again, a, a big part of the energy basket of New York in favor of windmills and solar panels. The, that nuclear plant is going to be shut down as far as the current eject... They, that could be reversed, but as of now, that's going to be shut down. As you said, um, this will result in unstable, expensive energy. And so just like Germany was induced to shut their, their, uh, nuclear and, and other dirty energy down, they're now realizing, well, energy prices have, have quadrupled, it's unstable. And they had to now import energy from, from abroad. So too, is this happening now in Canada where, uh, hydro Quebec, which supplies, I mean, you know, 90, 90% of Quebec's, um, electricity comes from hydropower, largely due to the wise decisions made in the 1950s, sixties, and seventies, uh, to or- organize ourselves in uh, there's a lot of water waterways a lot of, a lot of flowing water and wherever there's water there's potential for for power um, so we did that in the past we built a lot and i think something like yeah so now we're going to start sending um, something like 10.4 uh, ter- terawatt uh, hours uh, to new york that'll supply 20% also massachusetts um, we will get another uh, $640 million of, of Quebec hydropower because Massachusetts is very green and they're, they're also being told to shut down their economy. So they need to get something from somewhere. So it's got to be from Canada, if it goes through even. I mean, a lot of the environmental movements are so extreme that they're even saying that building, the, uh, <laughs> building these, these uh, connections uh, are going to disrupt the ecosystem so much that we're not going to let that happen. So they, they're just going for full dark age policies and the whole thing is insane because on the one hand can't, Quebec is not actually building anything new we're we're only getting money for this um we're it's not being used for building any type of large scale project or anything like that it's literally that money is just going to be going back into sustaining the bubble um new york massachusetts new england are not benefiting by this in a in a serious way they're not building anything uh genuine so this is also um, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's an orientation free energy policy. If you go back the way this should have been done is when you look in the 1950s and sixties, when Quebec originally built its electricity grids, it's, it's hydropower, these gigantic dams, and there's dozens of these massive dams, this, these things took five to, to 15 years to build each one, sometimes longer. And it was done largely when the United States was not yet recolonized. It was done at the time that you had people like Franklin Delano Roosevelt, um, John F. Kennedy was a, well, while you still had a fight by American nationalist uh, leaders um, who were actually protecting the Constitution, you had similar people in Canada who were able to, even in British Columbia on the West Coast, um, as well as here in in Quebec, who were able to utilize the support of their their like-minded um, political, you know collaborators in the United States, to build their programs. Meanwhile, you always had this parasite within Ottawa, which was run right out of the Privy Council Office, that was always trying to destroy and subvert the development of these big projects. That's always been there. Um, so in those days, the orientation was to completely develop the Arctic and to utilize, you know, to, to also develop with John F. Kennedy. John, JFK had a program for continental water projects to to build not only hydropower, but also water programs, all for uh, the East Coast, as well as moving water from British Columbia, the Arctic, into down into the continent, uh, you know, into Texas, into Calif- throughout California, into Mexico. These are projects like the North American Water and Power Alliance, which JFK was pushing, as was his brother, directly. And a lot of people in Canada were, were oriented in that way, which would have created a situation where you would have had... More industrial activity, more manufacturing, more science and technology, and a smarter people. If all of these things had not been sabotaged with the murder of JFK, with the ouster of uh, many of the people in Quebec, like at the time you had, you know, the the the, the political party was called the the Union, the National Union Party of, of Quebec, and three of their leading uh, premiers all died mysteriously. The first one, uh, Duplessis, died in 1959. Then his, his uh, right-hand man who took over the party, Paul Sauvet, who is in large measure known as the Martin Luther King of Canada uh, by, by his followers, was, he died four months later in 1960. And then when the party uh, was reorganized, and this was the, the sort of Christian party of uh, the world, th- this, this part of, of North America, this party had also, it, you know, baby boomers alive today many of most of them in, who've been through this who are french canadians tend to think that it's like an ignorant dark age of of backwardness they don't see they don't know how to think of anything good coming out of this period when this party was dominant from 1945 to uh, to 1960 but that was when we had the growth of all of our biggest economic projects we had a, we had a tripling of university enrollment more than even ontario and we had a smaller population than ontario um so there was actually a, a giant fight for progress and also A fight against eugenics and darwinism in the school systems so it was these quebec uh, catholic groups that were politically organized and deployed all the all the way through the united states to try to prevent eugenics and sterilization laws and even the eugenics review of uh, europe had written that the biggest pain in the ass that they're dealing with in north america to advance eugenics which was the greatest science of the world even after world war ii um, were these damned Quebec Catholics that they had to extract from the political uh, structures? So the the death, the the convenient deaths of these two heads of state of Quebec uh, did a lot to usher in a satanic takeover under the form of what was called the Quiet Revolution of 1960 to 65, which is just basically replacing one corrupt, like old guard uh, that were that tended to be more Catholic, and there was a lot of corruption but to replace them with a new breed of uh, technocratic management, kind of like what they did in Georgia <laughs> under uh, Saakashvili. And under that, this was what Pierre Elliott Trudeau, that's how he became famous, uh, was a, as a driving force of this de- de-Christianization of uh, Quebec with this color revolution. And things like power core were given greater powers, you know, artificial, like little families were were elevated from nothing. Like the Demaret, Paul Demaret was like, you know, he... <laughs> he was like somebody who dealt with buses. He, he he rented buses as part of a little company, and they just made him as a little local, uh, you know, uh, controller. They gave him the the helm of Power Corporation, which ran all of Quebec's energy. Um, people like Maurice Strong managed this. You know, the, the the guy who founded with with Klaus Schwab the World Economic Forum in 1971. Maury Strong, before that, he was the vice president of Power Corporation under uh, with Demeray. During this period, uh, these were the Malthusians who later took on the revival of of Malthus's ideas in 1968, 69, with the death of, of Bobby Kennedy. And they wanted to ensure that the that Quebec would be taken under the would be become a base of operations for the depopulation agenda overall, which is and that that is what ended up happening after the death of uh, there was there was one last guy named Daniel Johnson, Jr., who was the 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 leader of the the National Union Party, who came back to power in 1966. And he was there for two years. He invited de Gaulle to come to Canada. Charles de Gaulle, who was fighting NATO, who was fighting all of these these imperial agendas in Europe. And de Gaulle had a grand design to break the British Empire by creating a world of cooperation based on scientific and technological progress. Uh, he had he had allies in Algeria in across Africa um, who were working with this grand design. And Daniel Johnson was a big part of that in Quebec to break uh, the West free of this empire. And so de Gaulle was here for two, for like, I think almost two weeks, organizing the Quebecois uh, to be a part of that. And, uh, and this was finally destroyed when Daniel Johnson, who was, I mean, he was, he was a fighter for 20 years to build these big dams. And the day he was unveiling the biggest dam that that Quebec had, the Manicouagan 5 Dam, that morning that he was set to cut the ribbon, um, he didn't wake up. He died. Um, Again, very mysterious circumstances. And within months, Charles de Gaulle was ousted under his own uh, color revolution that was deployed to create a mass mob of disenchanted young people to basically overthrow their government in France. And and he had to step down. Sort of what happened to Mahdi in in Iraq. So, and then since then, Quebec was increasingly pulled in under a, uh, you know, within months after that, after de Gaulle steps down, Quebec has a false flag operation that was an excuse to create martial law. And you had a, uh, what was called, you know, the October crisis for a month. It was martial law tanks on the street and whatever Republican movements were still existent. People like uh, Pierre Laporte, uh, who was a cabinet minister and a friend of de Gaulle. And, and Johnson. He was killed in that process. He was one of the, the politicians who was kidnapped uh, by this RCMP-run terrorist cell called the FLQ, but we discovered later on these were all run by the RCMP. He was kidnapped and his body showed up dead uh, a few weeks later. Um, and that was sort of part of the shock therapy to break the will of those resisting fascism in Quebec and then you know, get paid people to just adapt to the new types of controls that were set for them. Um, so to this very day, we we see a replication of that with with nine eleven. We've seen a replication of that accelerate with how they're pushing down hard on uh, on the the medical dictatorship policies, um, especially in Quebec, where you have some of the biggest uh, protest movements that we've seen organize themselves. They want to crush that will. Same thing in France. They want to really crush the will of people who. Have some re- remembrance of what freedom is and would tend not to just adapt immediately to it. So, there's, there's, I mean, there's a fight in all countries, and that's the whole point. It's not just one oriented, one dimensional beast. There's a multiple, every country has a, a more complex fight and dynamic within it. And it's important to just keep in mind that the unifying factor is the collapse of the current Western system, which is premised upon certain principles. Of zero-sum geopolitics, oligarchism—a type of oligarchical class above nation states that want to get rid of nation states, get rid of get rid of population, at least keep population within mathematically acceptable uh, levels of maybe a billion or less—and then you have this opposing dynamic of the multipolar alliance, of led by Russia, China especially, which have created a new type of alternative to an anti-zero-sum game built upon large-scale investments into scientific. And technological progress that can make make the pie bigger and of better quality not just make it bigger um built on you know this idea that value comes not from money or from pure resources it comes from dignity making people better people by giving them hope by giving them security giving them inspiration to make discoveries in engineering and science and translate those into new forms of technology that's real economics so real economics is not about the money right? It's, it's more about this question of the human soul made in the image of a creative force in the universe. Whatever culture you're from, you might give it a different name. But the idea is, you know, we have these, these unifying characteristics where we're aware of our mortality. Yeah. Other animals, they live, they die. That's okay. But they don't change their identities according to better understandings of their own future mortality and what they're going to leave behind for their great-great-grandkids or for the general welfare of all reindeer, you know, like no reindeer is going to give its life for all of reindeer as a concept. It doesn't work that way. You know,
0: you have squirrels leaving in their will. Uh, and by the way, here is a stash of acorns for you, little Jimmy, for next winter. Love, Grandpa.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely don't.
0: Matt, we're at the end of the show, yeah. man. Last words you want to mention before we uh, close out.
1: No, that's, that's pretty good. I'm I'm happy.
0: Very well said. Folks, you can find Matt over at the canadianpatriot.com, canadianpatriot.com as well as risingtide.net and with the, and also make sure you subscribe to his Substack. And with that being said, folks, we were we're out of the we're over and out, but also a lot of people are asking about the interview from this morning. It will be posted on Rogue with the links to the German video. So uh, go check out com when that's available later this afternoon. That being cool. said, CJ, take it away.